Like most small children, I learned my home address so that if I got lost, I could tell a grown-up where to take me. In kindergarten, when the teacher asked me where I lived, I could recite the address without skipping a beat, even though my mother changed addresses frequently for reasons I never understood as a child. Still, I always distinguished my address from my home. My address was where I spent most of my time with my mother and sister, wherever that might be. But my home never changed. My great-grandmother's house, in the holler, in Jackson, Kentucky. Jackson is a small town of about 6,000 in the heart of southeastern Kentucky's coal country. Calling it a town is a bit charitable. There's a courthouse, a few restaurants, almost all of them fast food chains, and a few other shops and stores. Most of the people live in the mountains surrounding Kentucky Highway 15, in trailer parks, in government-subsidized housing, in small farmhouses, and in mountain homesteads like the one that served as the backdrop for the fondest memories of my childhood. Jacksonians say hello to everyone, willingly skip their favorite pastimes to dig a stranger's car out of the snow, and, without exception, stop their cars, get out, and stand at attention every time a funeral motorcade drives past. It was that latter practice that made me aware of something special about Jackson and its people. Why, I'd asked my grandma, whom we all called Mamaw, did everyone stop for the passing hearse? Because, honey, we're hill people, and we respect our dead. My grandparents left Jackson in the late 1940s and raised their family in Middletown, Ohio, where I later grew up. But until I was 12, I spent my summers and much of the rest of my time back in Jackson. I'd visit along with Mamaw, who wanted to see friends and family, ever conscious that time was shortening the list of her favorite people. And as time wore on, we made our trips for one reason above all, to take care of Mamaw's mother, whom we called Mamaw Blanton, to distinguish her, though somewhat confusingly, from Mamaw. We stayed with Mamaw Blanton in the house where she'd lived since before her husband left to fight the Japanese in the Pacific. Mamaw Blanton's house was my favorite place in the world, though it was neither large nor luxurious. The house had three bedrooms. In the front were a small porch, a porch swing, and a large yard that stretched into a mountain on one side and to the head of the holler on the other. Though Mamaw Blanton owned some property, most of it was uninhabitable foliage. There wasn't a backyard to speak of, though there was a beautiful mountainside of rock and tree. There was always the holler, and the creek that ran alongside it. Those were backyard enough. The kids all slept in a single upstairs room, a squad bay of about a dozen beds where my cousins and I played late into the night until our irritated grandma would frighten us into sleep. The surrounding mountains were paradise to a child, and I spent much of my time terrorizing the Appalachian fauna. No turtle, snake, frog, fish, or squirrel was safe. I'd run around with my cousins, unaware of the ever-present poverty or Mamaw Blanton's deteriorating health. At a deep level, Jackson was the one place that belonged to me, my sister, and Mamaw. I loved Ohio, but it was full of painful memories. In Jackson, I was the grandson of the toughest woman anyone knew and the most skilled auto mechanic in town. In Ohio, I was the abandoned son of a man I hardly knew and a woman I wished I didn't. Mom visited Kentucky only for the annual family reunion or the occasional funeral, and when she did, Mamaw made sure she brought none of the drama. In Jackson, there would be no screaming, no fighting, no beating up on my sister, and especially no men, as Mamaw would say. Mamaw hated Mom's various love interests and allowed none of them in Kentucky. In Ohio, I had grown especially skillful at navigating various father figures. With Steve, a midlife crisis sufferer with an earring to prove it, I pretended earrings were cool, so much so that he thought it appropriate to pierce my ear too. With Chip, an alcoholic police officer who saw my earring as a sign of girliness, I had thick skin and loved police cars. With Ken, an odd man who proposed to mom three days into their relationship, 
I was a kind brother to his two children, but none of these things were really true. I hated earrings, I hated police cars, and I knew that Ken's children would be out of my life by the next year. In Kentucky, I didn't have to pretend to be someone I wasn't, because the only men in my life, my grandmother's brothers and brothers-in-law, already knew me. Did I want to make them proud? Of course I did. But not because I pretended to like them. I genuinely loved them. The oldest and meanest of the Blanton men was Uncle T-Berry, nicknamed for his favorite flavor of chewing gum. Uncle T-Berry, like his father, served in the Navy during World War II. He died when I was four, so I have only two real memories of him. In the first, I'm running for my life, and T-Berry is close behind with a switchblade, assuring me that he'll feed my right ear to the dogs if he catches me. I leap into Mamaw Blanton's arms, and the terrifying game is over. But I know that I loved him, because my second memory is of throwing such a fit over not being allowed to visit him on his deathbed that my grandma was forced to don a hospital robe and smuggle me in. I remember clinging to her underneath that hospital robe, but I don't remember saying goodbye.